Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. As we get ready, just I just want to share a brief word with you this morning. Uh, as it pertains to joy and as the kids are learning about joy. Man, how do you follow Miss Rachel? That is so difficult, you know? I don't have any balloons for you this morning, but I just want to let you know if you came in this morning, maybe you were able to get a few notes. I just got three little blanks this morning that, uh, that we're going to fill out. And uh, just want to let you know uh, next Sunday that we're going to, for the past 10 years, we have been doing a little candlelight service. And so we're going to be singing Silent Night next week. And we've got other school things that are coming. got someone playing the piano. We have our handbell choir next Sunday. And so uh, we've even got someone, uh, one of the little girls, singing Mary Did You Know. And so you don't want to miss any of that next week. So it's going to be a great time. If you're just now joining with us, i got to do this. But if you're just now joining with us online, we want to welcome you here to Memorial Baptist Church. We want to encourage you to share uh, our service together. And uh, man, comment below. Sometimes I, I get these little comments. Where are you watching from? And they're like, Pastor, I'm in the back pew. Can't you see me? You know, so comment below. Let us know where you're watching from. These are strange times, but we love to stay connected. And so I want to ask you to, man, if you would be willing to do that for us. Also, just want to let you know, if you're watching us online and uh, you don't have any notes, you say, Pastor Dan, I want to join. I want to get into notes. Every single week, we put our, our sermon notes up on our website. You can click on, um, you, we've got a place for sermon notes right there. And so you can click, got that up at the top? Can y'all go to that page? Yeah. And so then if you can click right there on worship guide, and then it'll have our notes up there. Well, we've been talking about Advent. Do you know what Advent means? Advent literally means arrival, arrival. And that's why we use this in reference to the Christmas season. And if you've been joining with us lately, we've been talking about hope. We've been talking about love. And today we are talking about joy. Next week, we're going to be talking about peace. And today what I want, just very briefly in this quick moment, is to talk about how God gives us a joy for all people. It's not just for a few people, it's for all people. And so this morning, if you happen to have your Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me. It's a, the famous passage that we use for Christmas in Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you, grab your phone. This is the digital age. Grab your phone or maybe your tablet, and you can go there by using maybe your Bible app or just Googling Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 8 through 20, and we'll get there in just a second. Now, over the past couple of weeks, as we've been talking about Christmas, we've been using Christmas movies as a springboard to where we're going in God's Word. And so last week, uh, I got in trouble with the ladies. I made, I made fun of um, Hallmark Christmas movies. And uh, no, it was, but as I mentioned last week, did you know that just in 2020 alone that they were making 40 Hallmark Christmas movies? That's a lot of cheese. And so anyway, we've gotten through that. I'll digress. Today, what I want us to talk about, just kind of give us a springboard, is to think about the, the worst classic Christmas movie villains. A lot of times when we think about joy during Christmas, a lot of our movies are related to those who don't have 
joy. And so I'm just, I picked out three today that I think that you would be very familiar with. Can we put our first one up here on the screen? We'll put that one up here. So certainly, you know the villain of Whoville, the Grinch. Did you know that the story of the Grinch was originally published in 1957, along with the cat and the hat? And so you remember the Grinch wants to ruin everyone else's Christmas. He has no joy. And so he steals everyone's presents and he gets ready to push them over a cliff. And he turns his ear because he wants to hear the wailing and the crying and how everyone's not getting their presents. And he turns his ear to hear singing. And, that's, and that story in that movie reminds us that it's not about the presence. That's about the joy that is in our hearts. So instead of hearing sobs, he hears singing and, wound, and winds up. There is a redemptive side to this story where the Grinch turns a corner in his life. And so as we think about that, there's another uh, character who, who has no joy, but that uh, also turns that corner. And that is, you know, this guy, Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. You wouldn't have Christmas without Ebenezer Scrooge. Some, maybe you have found yourself with all the presents and giving and, and things that are going on. Maybe that you've gotten so stressed out with Christmas that you found yourself going down the road and saying, bah, humbug. I know that there's been moments even in my life, but this is the villain of Charles Dickens' 1843 novel, A Christmas Carol. And Ebenezer Scrooge is described as, listen to this, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner whose heart is, whose heart and as sharp as flint, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. He looks at how he, how he detests Christmas. Listen to this. He detests Christmas, which he associates with reckless spending. And when two men approach him on Christmas Eve for a donation to charity, he sneers at the poor who would avail themselves of the treadmill or the workhouses or else die to reduce them, to reduce the population. Can you believe that kind of heart that says, you know what, if you died, you know what, that would help us with population growth. So terrible to think about, but yet you know it takes four spirits and three dreams and all that kind of stuff to go through with Ebenezer Scrooge, and certainly he has a redemptive quality of his lack of joy, which gets turned into joy later on. But there's one character that you will probably know that there is no redemption there is no redemption for his movie or his soul. At the top of the list, I want to put him up here. Do you know who this guy is? Yeah, this is, if you don't remember his name, Henry F. Potter, who was voted in as one of the greatest villains of all time. He's actually listed as number six on the American Film Institute's 50 greatest villains in American movie history. And as you know, he's in the movie, A Wonderful Life. Potter is rich. He's cantankerous. He's a, and uh, he is an old miser of Bedford Falls. And he is hell-bent to make George Bailey and everyone else's life and their Christmas miserable. And so Potter goes down as a great movie villain for all kinds of reasons. But the biggest is the simple fact that he doesn't have any life change. There's no redemption on his character. He continues, as one person said, living on in infamy as the quizistential Christmas 
scoundrel. And the point of these movies, as we know, if you look at, at George Bailey, George Bailey coming out of that and realizing the joy that he can have in his life. Today, as we think about these movies and as we think about joy, I want you to hear loud and clear this Christmas, God wants you to experience his joy. And I want us to understand that it's not just something that he wants you to experience. It's actually something that he commands you to experience. We're going to put up here on the screen Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Do you realize that's not a suggestion? That's a command. He says, I want you, I'm commanding you to rejoice. I think that a lot of times people think that Christianity is so restrictive. Do this, but don't do that. And nothing could be further from the truth. Did you know that out of all the commands that God gives us, He commands us to have joy in Him? I have not yet opened my Bible and found a verse that says, that says, feel guilty always. But sometimes, isn't that how we live our Christian life? Well, I'm not doing enough. I'm not being enough. I'm not, you know, raising my kids well enough. I'm not going enough. Sometimes we think that the Bible says, feel guilty always. Or maybe that we think that there's a verse that says that you're not doing enough always. But that nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is what the Bible says is that there is this verse, Philippians 4.4, 4, that says, rejoice always, even in the midst of of the tough times. And with that, I want us to just look very briefly right here in Luke chapter two. And just as Miss Rachel talked about earlier, I want us to go to the story very quickly of the shepherds and the angels. So I'm gonna start in Luke chapter two, and we're gonna be right here in verse eight. I might be reading from a little different version than you have, but they will be uh, very similar. In verse eight, it says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. Look at this. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they had probably what I would do too. They were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news. Don't miss it of great joy. And is it just for a few select people? No. The Bible says that it, it is for all people. I want you to get this in your, in your mind. There's these shepherds that are out and you know, that, that man at nighttime, they didn't really have a time off. They didn't really have a whole lot of breaks. They were there in case the wolves came or if something else came to endanger their flock. And so there they are. Then we'll talk about this in just a little bit. They were really looked down upon society. They were considered dirty. They were considered poor. In fact, they weren't able. They had a, a ceremonial and ritual purification during that time. And these guys couldn't stay ritually pure. They couldn't stay clean because they were shepherds for crying out loud. So all the religious people and maybe business people, they were able to go to the temple. They were able to worship there. But these shepherds, because of their occupation and because of their job, were not able to do the things 
that others were going to do. And so God doesn't choose all the others. He chooses to make his announcement with them. And what we see here in verse 9, I love this. It says that as the angels stood there, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Here's something that I just want to teach you real quick. If, as you look throughout scripture, kind of, I apologize for kind of, kind of bringing this down, but it seems to be that when people stand in the presence of God, when they have an encounter, whether that's an angel or whether that's a person, it's almost as if, just bear with me, it's almost like there's like some glory residue on them. When Moses, back in the Old Testament, stood before the Lord, he was up on Mount Sinai, he came down and the Bible literally said that his face was glowing, so he had to put a veil over his face. You see these angels who have just come out of heaven. They just come out of heaven. They just come out of the presence of God. And it says that they've got, in the Pastor Dan version of the Bible, that they have the glory, it's all over them. They're glowing. The glory of the Lord is all around them. This isn't one of your notes this morning, but can I just take a quick sidetrack? You know, it's interesting. The people who have been with God... And they have, they've had an experience with God. They've been walking with God. They've been worshiping God. Have you ever noticed those people have something different about them? They have, they might not be glowing maybe on the outside, but they are glowing on the inside. There's something about when you have experienced God that it just shows and it happened with the angels, and it happened with people all throughout the Bible, and it happens with us too. Isn't it interesting that the first announcement of the Messiah's birth was given by angels to really these anonymous shepherds? We don't even know their name. And what did the angels say? Look with me in verse 11. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. Don't want to get the wrong baby here, okay? All right, this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth. Okay, a lot of babies are wrapped tightly. Ah, but here it is. And lying in a manger. Then in verse 13, man, it bursts out the first choir. Man, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people that he favors. During this time period, especially if a little boy was born to a family, sometimes you would have the magicians, and the, uh, the, the, not the magicians, the musicians, sorry, the musicians would come to their house and they would celebrate with music and singing. And here, as, as Jesus was born in the, the manger, he didn't have these musicians come. He didn't have the community come around them. And so who comes but the angels? And they are the choir singing to praise God for his birth. And then in verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem. That doesn't mean that they were really close. It means they had to go look. They went straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. In verse 16, Then they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it, boom, they were amazed at what the shepherd, boom's not in there. I, I put that in there. They were amazed and all the shepherds said to them, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. 
The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, and it was just as they had been told. Very quickly, can I just, can I just point out three simple things? The joy of the Savior, as we think about the, the shepherds, and we also think about our lives, as we can really relate to these shepherds, the joy of the Savior causes us, write this down, to move causes us to move. If you look back in verse 15, it says that the angels had left them and returned to heaven. When they had gone back up into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, oh, that was cool. No, that's not what they said. They said, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Look at this. They move. They respond. They don't give a bunch of excuses. I think so many times God does something in our lives. I'm praying that God does something in your life this Christmas. I'm praying that you experience him like you've never experienced him before. But I'm hoping that you won't sit on it. Because a lot of times that's what happens. Oh man, that was so moving. It brought me to tears. It was so great. Love seeing the kids. And we sit on it and we don't move. And maybe as I've talked to people about their faith, sometimes they look right at back at me and they say, Pastor Dan, I hear what you're saying. I hear how you're talking about how my life can be changed. And they look right back at me and they say, I'm just not ready yet. And I'm thinking, when are you going to be ready? When are you going to stop procrastinating and give your heart to God and man that surrender to his will for your life rather than your will for your life? Sometimes that, that we get so busy with life and family and school and all of that. And I would argue that maybe that folks that you've never seen the glory of God because when the joy of the Lord comes upon you the way that they saw it there and the way that we can experience it even today, you just can't can't sit on it. You got to move. And like I mentioned earlier, so many times we're motivated by guilt. We're motivated by guilt. God doesn't want to motivate you by guilt. He wants to motivate you by his joy. Have you ever had those Christmas gifts that you give out of guilt? There's that person that you're, oh, well, you know, we need to get so-and-so something too. And so you have those Christmas gifts that are given out of guilt. But you know what? My favorite types of Christmas gifts to give are the ones that I am so excited to watch that person open. They have no idea what they're about to get into. God wants you to take that mentality this Christmas over the present that he has given you, the gift of his son. And then when you think of this, I, I love this. In verse 16, it says that, that they hurried off. And then my version says that they found both Mary and Joseph. This is a Greek word uh, called aneurysco. And that's where we get this word found or searched or anything like that. And I want you to mean it literally means to search. They had to search. Did you notice God didn't give them a map and say, all right, here you go. Da, 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 da. It says that they had to search. Sometimes if you want to pursue God's joy in your life, you're going to have to search for it. You're going to have to go for it. He's not just going to hand it over to you the same way with these, with these shepherds that they had to go search it. And a lot of times we think God's going to spell everything out, his will for my life. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he's just going to say, you need to seek me. The second thing that I want us to see in addition to moving that the joy of the Savior calls us to move, the second thing is that the joy of the Savior causes us to tell. 
causes us to tell. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me. It says, after seeing them, they reported the message, talking about, you know, seeing the manger scene, seeing Mary and Joseph in verse 17. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And look at this. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They went out and they can't contain it. Let me tell you, when God moves in your life, not only do you move, but you gotta tell somebody. You gotta tell somebody. Now, here's what's fascinating. Are you ready for this? Here's what's fascinating. For, it's probably had to do with the class, you know, the different social classes, probably had to do with the class of shepherds. But did you know that shepherds were not permitted to testify in court? Did you know that? If they testified, it wasn't accepted because of who they were. And yet, look at this, God uses humble shepherds to be his first witnesses of the prophecy that had been fulfilled and the Messiah that had been born. You might be here today and you think that you're too poor or not educated enough or not religious enough. And certainly these guys, they were poor, weren't educated enough, weren't religious enough. And what does God say about them? He says, you'll work perfect. You'll work perfect perfect. And I want you to hear loud and clear this morning that God wants to use you in the same way, the same way that he uses the shepherd. No one else would listen to their testimony in the high courts, but man, when they start talking about how their lives had been changed, everyone listen. I want you to know when God changes your life, people will listen. You can't hold it in to yourselves. Their lives were changed forever. And grab this, they didn't pull out their phones and post it on social media. They actually found people and said, I've got to tell you what happened in my life. And then they humbly returned to their duties. Men going back to the same old job. So the joy of the Savior causes us to move. It causes us to tell. And then last thing that I just want to mention this morning is that the joy of the Savior causes us to praise. Causes us to praise. In verse 20 it says that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let me tell you something. The voices of the angels praising was now transferred into the shepherds praising. We just sang earlier today, hark the herald angels sing. Well, that turned into hark the lowly, the lowly shepherds voices ring. I mean, it came out of them. And like the angels, because they had been in the presence of God, their lives began to shine. And here's the deal. They were going back to their old jobs. A lot of times that we think, well, if my life has changed, then I can't go back to my old job. I can't do this. You know, everything in my life has got to turn upside down. Listen to me. They didn't win a million dollars. They didn't win a million dollars. They didn't get promoted. Nothing had changed in their circumstances. But they were brand new men. You can be the same way that maybe your circumstances don't change, but you can be brand new. Someone once said, and I'll end with this, real joy doesn't come from what you have. It comes from what you know cannot be taken from you. So your job can go away, but not God's purpose. A relationship, you have a relationship with someone and that can fall apart, but not God's love. You might lose your health. 2021, you might lose your health, but not God's mercy or his grace. It can't be taken from you. Or you might even lose 
your life, but not your eternal life. I want to end with just a little quick story. We're going to put this picture up here on the screen. I'll tell you what I'm, I'm talking about this morning. I don't know if many of y'all remember. Some of y'all were alive during this time. I was a little boy during this time. But in October of 1989, there was a little girl. Her name, she was actually 18 months old, the same age as my youngest daughter. Her name was Jessica McClure, and she fell, and she fell down an abandoned well shaft. This abandoned well shaft, sometimes called a dog leg, I don't know if you're into, you know, there was a drilling community in Midland, Texas. This little well shaft was only eight inches wide, and she fell 22 feet down in it. I don't know about you, but as a parent of a child that exact same age, scares me to death. And so here she is. And they sent down a, a microphone to see if she was, you know, if they could catch any sounds. Sure enough, she was alive, but she was trapped. There was no way for her parents to get her out. And this little town in Midland, Texas, they came together. They had all kinds of like people that were in the oil industry and they had all this drilling equipment. And let me tell you, every major news network, man, they all had their eyes. Man, at one point in time, you wish that we could not focus on politics. You wish that we could just focus on, on something good, but they were all focused on Midland, Texas. And this little girl named Bay baby Jessica, who was trapped in this well, eight inches wide, 22 feet down, and she was there. Listen to me. You can kind of see the countdown that was up there that I took off the actual film. You can look this up after uh, we leave today. She was down in that well, 18 months old, for 58 hours. You do the math. Two and a half days. And the men from that community, they dug and they drilled. And they had found out that she was within a place of some thick limestone. And so they've got these diamond drill bits. And they're just breaking them. They're just breaking them, trying to get to her. And they're saying, you know, we're, we got to get to her. Oh, we broke one. All right, put another one on. It doesn't matter the cost. We've got to get baby Jessica out of this little well. They talked about how baby Jessica, she would be crying for her mom. There would be other moments that she would break out into singing and she would be singing little Winnie the Pooh and cameras are all around and the site is filled with people and, and the, 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 the country is hoping, the country is praying at this desperate situation. And then after 58 hours, the site being filled with all these people hoping, praying, they were finally, listen to me, filled with joy. Can I put this picture up here on the screen for you? This is little baby Jessica coming out after 58 hours. And the parents were crying. And the newscasters were crying. And the onlookers all across the nation who were glued to their TVs, they were crying because little Jessica, who was most certainly dead, was now alive. And here's the deal, and you and I both know this, for her to be saved from such a desperate situation, she had to have someone save her. 
And as I read through this story and maybe, you know, as she came out, think about that all the, all the people, they're, they're just crying. News reporters are crying. You want to know why? They're not sad tears. They're happy tears. They're tears of joy because now baby Jessica has been saved. And here's what I want you to think about this Christmas season. And here's what I want you to think about as we think of the shepherds and the joy that Jesus brings. I want us to see that you and I are baby Jessica. You and I had fallen down in our sin and our shame and we are down in that and no one can get us out except the one who can dig down deep. And that was the Savior who was sent on high in the form of a baby who lived a perfect life and died on that cross so that he could pull us out of our pit of despair and sin. You and I are baby Jessica. And I want you, when you see that story now, that you go all the joy that takes place that she was saved that's who Jesus is that's who Jesus is for you and me he's the one that pulls us out of our desperate situation and the Bible tells us did you know this in the book of James we talked about the angels here the Bible tells us in the book of James that when one sinner gives their life to Christ when one sinner surrenders their life to Jesus, it's like being pulled out of that pit and it says that the angels of heaven rejoice. The same way that the newscasters and parents and these guys who were drilling, they were all rejoicing. The angels will rejoice. My question this morning is, have you been pulled out of the pit? Have you been pulled out of the pit? The Bible says, call upon me and I'll save you. Have you been saved from your sins? Are you trying to, look, some people try to be religious and they say, well, I just got to say enough prayers and kneel enough times and do all this and I'm not trying to pick on anybody in here. But if baby Jessica had tried to do that, it would have gotten her absolutely nowhere and it gets you nowhere. You've got to be saved by Jesus. Otherwise, why did he come? Why did he come to save you?